You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 120, covering schisms and true Q with Rob Humphreys. Hello, friends. We are back. We are back as we are every week. Um, Mm -hmm. And as we are every several months, our pal Beef is here. So, welcome, Beef. Um, You have a real name, but I don't care to acknowledge it. But if you do, Mm -hmm. you want to tell the people. Very well. (laughs) I feel like I'm the only person that even calls you Beef at this point. But uh, Uh, Not actually true. Sometimes Bear. Oh right, bear. Yeah, that yes. got popular at uh, Emerald City Con. Yeah, thanks Only to a, at Emerald City. Con. Thanks to a a, uh, a wonderful typo at karaoke, you are now known as Bear. <laughs> so That's you, how it works forever you can and Thank. What was what was the dude's name? Like Angela or like Heather? Yeah, Heather. That's it. Heather the dude. <laughs> Mister Heather. Right. No, please. His dad is Mister Heather. <laughs> I'm Doctor Heather. Do- yeah, this is one of those intros where I'm stalling because... Uh, Guess what? It was a shitty episode. Well, and I, I said this going into season six, we're going to have a lot of weeks where it's like bad episode, good episode. Yep. And this week we started off on the bad foot, but then there's a good foot coming up, so... Yep. And as we let the guests pick their own episodes, we've got the good foot, so... Indeed. Matt, why don't you... Uh, I uh, got the schisms. Foot metaphor amputate... Why don't you put your best foot forward and tell us about schisms? I hate you. Almost as much as I hate this episode. Now, please tell me about schisms. All right. So while exploring the Amaragara, the spoiler, whatever, Bill does the impossible and passes out during a reading of Data's poetry. Lieutenants Dent and Prefect both insist that they like it and are put off the ship. (laughs) But no time for that now. Riker's been having trouble sleeping and we have two dreary acts to fill. But it's not just Riker who has, who's having boring problems this week. Oh no! Worf develops a fear of scissors, and Jordy develops a fear of seeing. A crewman's blood is turned into glue, making the first appearance of brainwashes syndrome in over a hundred years. It turns out a lot of important people are reporting strange problems, including fan favorite somebody's mother. <laughs> After 48 years in the holodeck establishing that yes, they all sat on a table, Crusher straps the thing to Bill and they send him into a mystery hole. But not a mystery time hole, a mystery dimension hole. There's a difference. Arriving in a greasy, trashed Red Dwarf set, Riker shoots up the place and saves some girl from the invasion of the bug-eyed iguana monks. And then they banish the aliens. Somehow. Sending them somewhere and then ensuring that they're someone else's problem. <laughs> invasion of the bug-eyed iguana monks might have made it a little better title-wise. If only we yeah. were still doing alternate titles. Oh yeah, we haven't done that in a long time, have we? Yeah. We need a new shtick going into DS9. Maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll resurrect that. Yep. Um... The the title, Schisms, mm-hmm. Schisms refers to sort of an ideological break between two people. They decided to apply break like a split literally, and Schisms refers to the, the break in subspace, because that makes sense, right? See, I always it, assumed it was the worst dude. connection. Yeah. yeah. It's... Schisms is usually like a religious thing. Right. Like we're... Uh, a break in religious sects or in, in right. a, a denomination or whatever, and mm-hmm. it has no connection to this. No. So the only... The only um, thing that is truly blameless in this is the title because it has nothing to do with the episode right and it's gonna I, be... I feel like that brings on its own type of blame though well and that's <laughs> going to be one of those things where we go back to write our episode guide or, or whatever and we're like schisms was that about 
some kind of religious nope it was this one no this is the one yeah. with the chair that was actually a table they've had a bunch of episodes that could be called legitimately called schisms yep. they've had mm-hmm. things where people are breaking away from others and their ideological things yep yep but this one is nothing at all not even you can't even like squint one eye and have it be no nope. you know seem to be there's um, not a schism in sight nope no. uh, the other thing is i've i've been hinting at this episode all along because i've been dreading it yep and it's not. This as goes bad back as... to like the first or second episode of TNG. Yeah, and it's not as bad as I remember in that sense. It just sort of represents. Well, I mean, we'll get to that when we get to my bad thing. Mm-hmm. But there are several episodes I thought was it. I thought Night Terrors because obviously. Yeah. No, was, I can understand that. There was another one where it's like, oh, here we go, and it wasn't that either. It's nope. schisms. No, it's just all, all this time. It's just been waiting in the wings for you to get to it. Waiting in the dark with the uh, <laughs> with the bug-eyed iguana monks. Right, bug-eyed. That just really flows, bug-eyed it, iguana monks. Yeah, I'm pretty pleased with that. That's pretty great. Uh, Beef, you're the guest. Why don't you? Yep. Why don't you somehow dig out a good well, thing? My good thing in this um, isn't a super great thing, but it is a good thing. Is that Troy is not useless in it. That's um, that's pretty remarkable at this stage. She, she yep. does her job. She mm-hmm. does her job. She does a reasonable thing for the counselor to do, mm-hmm. and there are a couple points where she actually goes the next step. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's the whole. I know the table scene is is something, but it, it, there's in towards solving the problem. She actually at one point says, "And I will look to see if anybody else on the ship had this problem." Right. Blah blah blah. And I thought, like, that's doing the legwork. That's something you would do. I just that's pick- not just trying to resolve it. In the room she's in, and then not do anything else ever. I right. just picture her putting up a sign on the uh, on the uh, Enterprise cork board. <laughs> <laughs> have you experienced Have you experienced fear of of scissors? Your eyes not working or losing time? We're having That's a meeting in hallway, tonight in the hallway next to the bathrooms and ten forward. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a on Memory Alpha. They always have notable quotes from the episode. Most of them are from uh, coming up where Matt does his quote. There's a there's mm. a delightful bit. Um, of, of dialogue at the beginning. And then one of the quotes is, have you dreamed about scissors recently? <laughs> That's the best they could come up with as far as notable quotes go. Yep. That I like to song. believe that as ridiculous as uh, memory alpha is, the, some of the people that work on it do have a sense of humor. Oh, absolutely. Um, and now yeah, I put just, in the thing about scissors. Maybe now I realize that schisms should actually be scissors. Yes. Huh. And there was like a typo or something. <laughs> Call it, it scissors. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Uh, and a bad thing for me yes. is I literally fell asleep three times trying to get through it. Uh-huh. And, and my other it is just bland. It is like a monotone, yep. like, a, like a, they could have just gone, ooh, the entire episode and it would have been the same, like no. nothing yep. on screen, just the, the beat. And, um, just the test pattern my, with, with Worf's yeah. head instead of the Indian's head. <laughs> I, I would love for an episode like that for it to, it to start out like a regular episode where you get that shot of the like outside of the ship mm-hmm. and it never goes off that sh- off that shot. No, it's just, just the Enterprise it's in just space, the, the just, star field in the background. It's an Enterprise screensaver for 47 yeah, minutes. I have a, another piece to mine is how can you have a guy whose blood is turning into a liquid polymer and not have him become instant plastic man? That's a real missed opportunity there. That would be awesome. Or any of the other that would have stretchy made guys. So much better. Like yes, Mr. Or Fantastic or Elongated Man or, or mm-hmm. Mr. Fantastic. Yeah. Stretchy powers. All Take right, your Matt, wife. How about you? I like the look of the alien ship or the dimension or wherever the hell they ended up going. It was very neat looking, which is good because the aliens themselves look terrible. 
that's that's not a that's not a good thing. You can't say a, t- a terrible thing in your good thing. You've you've tarnished the whole idea of the good thing. I took two. Oh, all right. No, it's it, it it's sort of like a big gymnasium area, but it looked kind of cool. It looked like it looked like that's where the entirety of the budget went. Yeah, it certainly didn't go into the look of the aliens, like you no. said. No, no, did not. Lobster claws, but uh, and they They're... were they were so rubbery. It looked like yep. it was from a Roger Corman movie. Like maybe they had been made out of a, out of a liquid polymer. Yeah, that's they were trying to turn that guy into one of them. Yeah, maybe their hands know. weren't the claws, but the meat inside the claw without the actual shell over it. Yeah, you crack you that go. open and throw some all rubbery and yeah. wobbly. Dip now, it in butter. So we're gonna get so many no prizes <laughs> for this episode. Uh, well, it needs a lot of explaining, and uh, yeah. unless you start coming up with some more techno babble, I'm afraid that that's that's all oh. we got. Oh man, which leads <laughs> us right into your uh, bad thing. Yeah, there is a ridiculous amount of techno babble in this episode. Just long stretches of it, trying to explain crap that doesn't make any sense anyway. There's an entire poem made up of technobabble in this, and it's only saved by the fact that it's both funny and adorable. Oh, Data, will you ever learn how to be human? All right, let's talk about that scene, and we'll do this leading into your quote. There's a great right. bit where it opens, and this has absolutely nothing to do with uh, with the rest of the story. In fact, that's my good thing, too. Yeah. No, There's the a... only reason it exists is to have... Data uh, reading? Oh, to have Riker well, show to that have Riker tired. falling asleep. Right, which is cute. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, the, the, the poetry is... Really clever, and no, it doesn't invoke emotions because, of course, it doesn't. No, it's data. I think you need to have emotions to invoke them. But there's this really, really clever poem that he does, and uh, we'll just we'll play that now since Matt chose the most obvious quote, which I mm-hmm. think we all would have. Well, that's not true. Beef would have chosen a different one, but let's we'll yeah. get to that in a sec. I've written my next poem in honor of my cat. I call it Ode to Spot Felis Catus. Is your taxonomic nomenclature an endothermic quadruped, carnivorous by nature? Your visual, olfactory, and auditory senses contribute to your hunting skills and natural defenses. I find myself intrigued by your subvocal oscillations, a singular development of cat communications that obviates your basic hedonistic predilection for a rhythmic stroking of your fur to demonstrate affection. A tail is quite essential for your acrobatic talents. You would not be so agile if you lacked its counterbalance. And when not being utilized to aid in locomotion, it often serves to illustrate the state of your emotion. Commander, you have anticipated my denouement. However, the sentiment is appreciated. I will continue. Oh, Spot. The complex levels of behavior you display connote a fairly well-developed cognitive array. And though you are not sentient, spot, and do not comprehend, I nonetheless consider you a true and valued friend. So that's utterly, utterly delightful. And then to continue my good thing, there's there's some great character stuff between Data and Jordy at the beginning. Yeah. Where they're talking in sort of the aftermath of, of the poem. Of people's reaction to it. And then, Beav, you said you would have selected a, a different quote. Yeah, there's a scene where, where uh, Data is talking to Jordy about the uh, his poetry and how it was. And Jordy's telling him that it was clever. Really, really clever. And it is really clever. Mm-hmm. Like, and that really, works for some of us. Really, period. really clever. Yep. But uh, And, and then uh, after Jordy feels he's gotten out of the whole thing by telling him how clever and technically correct it was and all, mm-hmm. then Data goes, and? And Jordy's <laughs> like, and what? <laughs> it, it's the best. 
I said he, he he goes sort of into the the Shirley from Community's low voice when she you know yeah has reached something she's ready to stop talking about or yeah whatever. You know, it, it's it, like it, no it, I, th- uh, I think we're done here yeah yeah and the, the thing I love about Jordy is we talked about this all along he treats Data like he's a person. Like, yeah. like he doesn't treat him any differently. And it extends to this where he's trying to spare his feelings. They've been friends for six years and he's still trying to spare his non-existent yeah. feelings. It's like, no, you know how data works at this point. You see him every day. You've pulled open his head. You literally know how he works. Yeah. And yet, no, the, the scenes between those two are fantastic. And they're really only the first, like the teaser in the first five minutes of the episode. Yeah. And they could have been in any episode at all. Yeah. Like they really, apart from seeing Riker be tired, which you could do in a million other settings. I mean, like, Data appears pretty regularly in this episode, but he really only is there to hold a tricorder at things he finds interesting. Yeah, there's a whole bit where apparently this alien phenomena thing affects him too, but it doesn't go anywhere when you pointed that out. Mm-hmm. It's just, yep, me too. So anyway. <laughs> um. Okay, so my bad thing. Yes, please. This is one of those episodes I've gone on and on about since we started TNG. It's not that I hate it exactly, but I don't like it. It's more that it represents everything I hate about this era of Next Gen, about the last 25%, about the the half of Season 6 and pretty much all of Season 7. Half-baked horror premises that make no sense, and as Matt's pointed out many times, he loves horror and science fiction together, and this show just does not do it. Yeah, no, if it did it right, I would love all this crap, but it never does. If you had something like Alien, which was a nice melding of, you know, horror Mm -hmm. and sci-fi, but you you never get that. And that's Braga. That's Braga wants so bad to create a mystery or to create a dark sort of horror thing, and it just, it never works. Nope. Ideas, they just crowbar these ideas in that don't work in Star Trek. This clearly felt like an X-Files pitch, and X-Files was either not on yet or just starting, but it still felt like, I want to tell an alien abduction episode. One of you pointed out that there would be no alien abduction in the future. They'd just call it kidnapping. Yeah. (laughs) Because (laughs) they're all aliens. And, and okay, so you got that. You got those elements of a, of a bad late next-gen uh, thing. You got so many actors just sort of phoning it in because the script gives them nothing good to do. You got Picard uh, showing up once or twice, sort of nodding his head. Yes, Jordy, you, you do that. Keep going. You're doing a damn fine job of whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. And then there's the table sequence, which, in fairness, all this time I've been saying it was a chair. I'm sorry. It was a table. I, I, I stand corrected. The thing that makes me sad, though, is that, yeah, it's a chair, rolls off the tongue a lot better than, yeah, it was a table. Yeah, but there's I'm a... I'm really sorry to lose that. There's a, there's a whole sequence, which we've, which we've all pointed out, that just goes on and on. I mean, BV3, you, you fell asleep, what, three times? I really did. Was it during that <laughs> scene every time? Yeah. It was always well before the end, so it was probably, I would see a little bit of that scene, and then I would wake up at the... <laughs> at the resolution. At the resolution. It goes on for an entire act, and they have these weird Batman from the 60s leaps of logic. Yep. No, it was a table. Yeah, and someone's going to slip on a banana peel. Of course. Mm -hmm. Okay, and here's my actual bad thing. Who the hell is that lady, and why is no one even vaguely concerned about it? Oh, yeah, someone's mom. She's just... Okay. So people are abducting... These aliens are abducting people on the ship. Fine. So it's all bridge crew, and then this one lady in civilian clothes... Fine, there's civilians on the ship, that's cool. Yeah. But they took three bridge crew and then this lady, like who, they don't even address her by name. Nope. Nobody even looks at her usually. She's just there. No, no, Worf looks at her quite longingly a couple of times. Well, or angrily, sort of glaring at her. Who are you? Are you Wesley? (laughs) Wesley, that's it. 
But it's like all they had to say was she's, you know, she's Commander So-and-So's wife or she's here to – she took over the Arboretum when Keiko left or anything. Yep. But no, she's just there. And the thing is, whenever we see one person that we've never seen before mingling among the rest, it's like the Kieran McDuff thing. It's like, okay, they're obviously with the aliens. She's yeah, of course. sinister somehow. She's a spy. Yeah. Now, no, you you need to establish that she's not – you need to establish that she's not important to pay attention to. Right. Because she's not important. But she keeps adding to the uh, the table. Yeah, and the table was inclined. Yeah, and the... Uh, you just keep expecting yourself. Why are you here? Yeah. Uh, oh, I was invited by Counselor Troy. Oh, yes, this is Nancy. She's from my <laughs> yoga class. <laughs> now you're undermining Beef's good thing, because that's not a good thing at all. <laughs> huh? Okay, well... Usually I'd like to use our good things and bad things as, as points of discussion, but I'm I'm really trying to rush us here, and I suppose I shouldn't do that. Uh, there's a couple of points I still want to hit. Well, oh yeah, no, we're, we we got plenty of time to do this. I, I'd love to hear from you both. I'm just going to take a nap now. Uh, that's fine. There, th There's a part where, um, like, they find the, the weird dimension hole in mm. the cargo bay. Another magic portal. Another magic portal, yes. And it's like this big glowy thing on the wall that they just sort of notice. It's like, how do we not see that? Mm -hmm. It's like about as big around as my TV, and it's just over the door. <laughs> no, and then once one person yeah. looks up, everyone in engineering just sort of starts staring at it at the same time. And there's like, yeah. as one of you pointed out, like 10 yellow shirts in the same place. Yeah. All looking up. Oh, yeah, that thing. Yeah, I wanted to mention that to you, uh, uh, Commander, but, uh, you know, then I came in and you were really busy. You were over there talking to the data like you always are. And then I had to do, go and swab out the whatever, so, you know, I just never got around to it. But yeah, there's a big glowing hole thing over the door. Hmm. Maybe we want to plug that with something. You think they're still swabbing in the 21st century, huh? <laughs> yeah, of course. All right. Well, Stuff some toilet paper in there or something, I don't know. It's It's the Navy, I assume there's still swabbing involved. Yeah. Look, yeah. the place still a, probably gets dirty. You gotta swab it's a big, occasionally. It's a big room full of barrels with nothing extraordinary about it. You would notice a glowy, a glowy thing up in the corner. You would big, think, yeah. You know, and uh, if you were in a an environment where you had as many things go wrong or weird as they do on the Enterprise, yeah, I almost think you'd once a look week out for everything. You would think, you yeah. know, what I mean. Or their tricorders would be set extra sensitive or something. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Here's. Oh right. Or the computer would tell you yeah, stuff. Like that, not tell, yeah. Not telling you that people disappeared off the ship. Right. That's a nice thing. Where two thirds of the way through the episode, they're saying, "Computer, who is uh, who's not on the ship that should be?" And well, and then it gives them a list. That really pissed me off. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like, computer, guys, we'd really like you to do your job and tell us when people are off the ship. Yeah, it's Go obvious from day one the computer can locate any crew member. Therefore, it should tell you when some of them are missing. Computer, yeah, why you didn't... would imagine that if it can locate them, that it probably keeps a running tab on everybody, whether it, yeah. it's used or not. It should. I mean, that would be yeah, scary in normal life. Technology. But on a military ship, it would be, you know, Worf should have a little panel saying, yep, everyone's here, everything's yeah. fine. Yeah, at the very second, at the so very he least, could tell what security people were where and who right. was you know available and stuff. I'm sorry, exactly. At the very least, there should be like a little a little uh, Battlestar Galactica style chart somewhere on one of his computer or one of his consoles. Yeah, exactly. With <laughs> the with the amount of crew members on the ship, and then it goes down. Yeah. Well, gee, where'd they go? Well, who knows? It's like you know, computer. Why the hell didn't you tell us we're missing three people? You never asked. <sighs> one oh, of those charts you. is like. 
300 days since last crew member, you know, inexplicably disappeared from ship. <laughs> Worf sighs and erases it. it changes. Seven <laughs> yeah. days since Worf was crushed by a barrel. <laughs> <laughs> well, those barrels are still very dangerous. So when the, when they're when they're building their table, every time they change one tiny detail, the computer it's an entirely new table. Yeah, and and that sort of ties back to the you never asked me. I just I feel like the computer is so literal mm-hmm. in one sense, and then in the other, it takes so many liberties. Like pick a personality. The computer is so out of character in this episode. Yeah. Uh, what what? Oh, somebody, um, Matt, something you were terrified about with with Riker apparently. Oh yeah, there's a scene where they cut it. Apparently, they cut his arm off and then put it back on. Just uh, took it off, beat him about the head with it. <laughs> Why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? I remember this is one of the episodes that I watched. You know, when it, like I watched this one the first time it aired mm-hmm. when I was a little kid, and that was one of the things that stuck with me. It's like, man, they cut his arm off and put it back on, yep. and he didn't even notice. Nope. That of course I thought it was Worf. Every alien butt on the other uh, in the yeah. other dimension. <laughs> Here, take his arm off, and we'll give each other hand jobs with it. <laughs> I think I think the title "schism" refers to the schism between his arm and the rest of his body. Oh god! <laughs> Which is really only a .01 micron variance, as we heard. So that's barely a schism at all. Yeah. Here's the thing. Well, one of the things that really, really bothered me. Mm. Twenty-seven, thirty-seven minutes in, ten minutes before the end. They're in the conference room. They lay out exactly how they're going to solve the problem. And then the episode unfolds exactly the way they said with zero variances whatsoever. It's like, here's our plan. Now let's do our plan. The end. Yeah. It's that, like the most unexciting, like, jailbreak I've ever yeah, seen. But if you, if yeah, but if you lay out what's going to happen, then the obvious dramatic thing is for something to go horribly wrong and yeah, then to course. have to compensate for yeah. it. But nope. There was no no suspense, no variance, no snags. Not not even a little went different than nope. it. He walks in and when he leaves, he just whoop, through the hole yep. to come back, and he's yeah. back. No, and see, they didn't like, even. He shot one of them, yep. and then nothing, and nothing. Yep. Yeah. And no uh, one cares. No. Nope. Yeah. And then the portal turns into a comet and just flies away. That well, was, at least it didn't rape Troy. That well, this time, <laughs> maybe maybe next time. Well, they did imply that they're going to come back. Which yeah. We were all like on the edge of our seats because we fell asleep and our butts sort of moved toward the edge of our seats. Yeah. We sort of slid off the chair. Right. It was a chair. Yeah. No, no I was reading uh, I was reading up on Memory Alpha on this one and they were talking about, yeah, it's like, yeah, we had planned to bring the aliens back, but then we realized that they looked terrible and decided that we never would. But that's the reason, not that it was a poor, you know, poorly written episode or that the concept was kind of dumb. Yeah. It was just, oh, no, no, we didn't like how the aliens looked. Oh, well, wow. I mean, they, <clears throat> well, I mean, you know. Clearly if they, that if, was the problem. Yep. If they had ever come back, they could have made the the aliens less shitty. You would think. It's like the Ferengi started out shitty, and then they made them better later. And then they made them worse later on, but then they made them better again later. Did they? Well, they got, I like them on DS9. Well, yeah, but how do they get worse again? Well, and then they went back to prancing around and waving laser whips at people. Oh, that I don't remember. Maybe up to then they got better again. Ah, well, yeah. What they could have had a store. There could have been a click-talking uh, lobster-handed monk store on D- uh, DS9. Yeah, there <laughs> on you the go. promenade. On the promenade. <laughs> that sounds like something they would do in season one when DS9 was still doing all uh, old the, TNG plots. Yeah, and the space mall. Yeah, which is what the promenade was. The episode ends with them sitting around the conference table, summing up what we just saw. 
Yep. And uh, Data says maybe they were explorers like ourselves. How many episodes have ended with a sort of hostile alien force where they said, oh, no, no, maybe they're just like us? No, it's okay. No. They were they were doing things like we do. You know, you know how we're always kidnapping people and taking their arms off? Yeah. Well, we haven't done that since the Kirk days. I mean, <laughs> we've learned a thing or two since then. Kirk just had like a big umbrella stand full of arms in his uh, in his quarters. Uh, <laughs> They're just back scratchers. Yep. Just like well, I stole these I stole these from the Star Wars universe. <laughs> that's that's almost certainly a crossover that never needs to happen. Nope. That's whenever they do those crossovers and it's like they focus on exactly the wrong thing. Like you want to see Kirk and Han Solo or whatever. Instead, you're just seeing the arm adventure. Yep. Remember how exciting these arms were? Nope. Nope. Not at all. Hey, guys, someone say Armas. Nope. You know, I wasn't nope. even annoyed by the Armas voice. I may have <laughs> even initiated it. <laughs> that's how much you hated this episode. Again, it's not hate. It doesn't... It, it doesn't deserve... Yeah, it doesn't evoke hate. Yeah. It, it, no. It, there's not enough there to, to make you hate it. It's just, this is... The, I said this a couple of weeks ago. It's basically the same. This is the template for what what is to come. This is... So many episodes are going to be like this going into the late next gen and then a lot of Voyager. This is just... This is what they think a good Star Trek episode is. This is acceptable to them, and they're just going to keep making them like this. Mm-hmm. It's not cool. This isn't a yeah. good episode of Star Trek. But they said the whole tone of the entire thing, and they, they had, and we all commented about it. I don't think we've talked about it here in this yet, mm-hmm. is when they had the explosion in the cargo bay, mm-hmm. they showed, you know, they cut to all the emergency teams, the security oh, and the medical people, and they're casually strolling down the hall. Yeah. They're not running. They don't look. No, work on a security guy, Beverly, and a medical person. Yep. They are slowly walking down the hall. Yep. And it's like, you know, even they don't take it as a threat. Even they're bored by it. No, you're you're absolutely right. That totally sums up this episode. Yeah. Something... I had... Go ahead. Sorry. I had the one nitpick. I can get back to that in a minute if you want. Uh, No, please do. My my one nitpick about the episode um, from just a, a... factual basis of the episode itself Mm -hmm. is unless I'm missing something they set this whole thing up and at the end Jordy starts explaining how um, the aliens must have been taken notice because the shield array that he did the sensor array yeah that they called the LaForge sensor array array. Mm -hmm. but in the beginning Riker already has the sleep problems like the sleep has been disrupted Mm -hmm. and Jordy talks to Riker after that about how he's going to modify the sensor array that's true so it couldn't have been you know the aliens had to have already been on to him before the Jordy sensor array well so it just that that made me just I thought that was sloppy the thing is and this is another uh, characteristic of these later episodes is when you really start to think them out they almost never make sense no and not like I've said over and over again, I don't care if it doesn't make sense if it results in a great plot or a great character stuff, and yeah. none of that happened here. It doesn't make sense, and it's not a very good story. So it fails on just about every level. I feel like I feel like Brandon Braga's whole thing is just doing stuff because he thinks it's cool, you and know? Then, and then sort of backfitting a justification that doesn't make yeah. any sense. Yeah. There, there's a director, and I can't think of his name now, but in a recent interview, he, you know, he was talking about how no, I just did it because I thought it would look cool. Yeah, and that's not. I don't. It like that. That only works if you can if you can you know think of a way that it actually, you know, connects with the actual characters in the story and stuff. You know, like yeah. you can't just go on. Well, I thought it'd be awesome if they fought space ghosts, <laughs> or indeed space ghost. No, well that would have been great. <laughs> go on, say it. I'm George Lowe. Am I being lowered now? 
I um, uh, I just like I say, it's it, that's the way he does it. And what I want from Star Trek is good character stuff, which is what I want out of any show. Yep. And big, cool sci-fi concepts. Not this mess of a, well, I thought it would be cool if they if Riker floated in midair like a terrible levitation trick from a parlor magician yeah. and threw a hole and then rescued some ensign from monsters. Yeah, and the thing is, like, unlike you, I'm the audience for this. Like, I... And I would like to look at at Star at Star Trek horror stuff, but if you don't do it right, then I just don't give a shit. That might be why I don't care because I've not seen it done well ever. Yeah, it just—I mean, the original series idea of that was literally a haunted house with a black cat. Yeah, yeah. And then this is not much better. At least that was fun in sort of a campy way. Well, yeah. No, it's... like TNG has tried so hard to do the the horror thing, and they they have never done it right. Nope. And like I say, I believe, and again, I, I badmouth Braga because I see his name all over this stuff. Yeah. And he was the showrunner on Voyager, I believe. I, I, yeah. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he was. And um, he, I, I, some of the episodes I saw on that show, they tried and failed over and over again. He just, he has this idea of what Star Trek is, and it's not what I want it to be. No, see, that's the thing. Like, the only reason we keep coming back to you know, bashing him is that we see his name on a very specific type of episode. Yeah. And I try to bash him like whenever I have a big complaint, it's like, mm. it's like at the live show where I had my whole list of things that I didn't like about that guy. Yeah. Um, I really try to quantify it. I don't want to just be angry guy with it, with a grudge. I want to be here is why I don't like it. Yeah. And there's so many reasons. And the most recent reason is schisms. Ugh. One in a one in a series. The episode that doesn't even have a title that makes sense. Nope. Any any final thoughts? How about you, Beav? Any any last things you wanted to mention before we put this behind us? Well covered Forever. <laughs> we still have the episode guide to do. We gotta think about this one more time. <clears throat> ah, piss. <laughs> Matt, how about you? Nope. Let's get out of here. Very well. <laughs> Nuke it for more, but it's the only way to be sure. <laughs> now, given that there were two episodes, one of them was about a cute girl. It did not surprise me in the least that Beef picked this one. I have a type of episode. Yeah, you have a type. I have a type. So please, okay. in indulge us about... Tell us about your type. True Q. Tell us how you spent your summer True vacation. <laughs> or or QT pie, as I call it. Oh, ah. Here we go. The, the Enterprise is on a relief mission to Smog Planet, and they take on a bright young intern named Amanda. She's a promising young talent who is on the Enterprise to try out a bit of everything. She quickly meets Riker and adds him to her to-do list. <laughs> she tells him about her love of animals and her vast collection of pets back home, and then, holy shit, puppies! Puppies spontaneously appear in her quarters, and the entire rest of the episode is spent, uh, spotlights a cute girl playing with puppies. Sadly, that's not how it went. Aww. Turns out Amanda is Q. Q-Manda. Her real parents were Q, killed by Q, for not act acting Q enough. Q-Manda's first assignment is with Beverly, testing tricorders by scanning herself with each one. Later, she works with Worf, testing phasers the same way. <laughs> Down in the shuttle bay, Amanda saves Riker from the number one threat to Starfleet officers, a falling container. She does this by knocking it out of the way with a puppy. <laughs> the next challenge is a warp core breach, which she thwarts by packing the core with hundreds of live puppies. <laughs> this, these mishaps are all tests from Q. Testing of Q-Manda is really, truly a Q. Plot, 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 Q, Q, Q. Q-Manda has decisions to make, like, do I make Rocker, Riker my mind control slave, or just wait a few minutes until he gets the idea on his own? Do I live life as a Q, or do I just 
try not ever to ever use my powers. Ultimately, Riker is put in peril again, and Q-Manda uses her powers to fix everything, and then scampers off with Q to the Q continuum, where she'll be no puppies at all. Oh, <laughs> that was that was. Uh, the that was best delightful. summary ever. Uh, well, I mean, it was a great summary, but <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. There were uh, there were puppies in this episode at the beginning for what maybe three minutes, and there were a lot of them. Then the two of you—that's all you fixated on. There's all kinds of great stuff happening here, and all you yeah. guys could think about were the puppies. That's what could make the Enterprise rock. better than cute puppies and a cute girl? This basically is is uh, what Tumblr would become. Well, who cares about anything of depth? Look, there's pictures of cute animals. Exactly. Yeah. Al, you don't understand. This is the first time on primetime TV where a girl kissed a puppy live on a network show. Yeah, it was well, very important. That was a big deal, and they did uh, they did black the episode out in uh, in in the anti puppy belt. Yes, in the cat people belt. Ugh, they, those fucking people. They were big fans of of Emress, uh, but they they did not like the. Uh, yeah, and they liked uh, and they liked schisms because of all the spot talk. Yeah, let's never. What did I just say? I don't remember. I wasn't listening. Okay, we're not talking about that anymore. Not talking about what? Right. Beef. Good thing. My good thing is cute girl. Uh-huh. Also, Beverly plays a, a good role in this and uh, realistically gets the situation. She mm-hmm. understands the complexities of this girl who's just found out that she has these ultimate powers mm-hmm. and um, that she's part of this other sort of race of omnipotent beings mm-hmm. and that she has to balance that against her human life that she knew. And, and Beverly, I just think, is really good in this because – because Amanda works with Beverly first, Beverly is like her mentor mm-hmm. and is a, a, a voice for her, you know, throughout the show. And uh, Beverly deals with Q some, and Beverly deals with breaking the news to, to Amanda and, and, and helping Amanda decide what she should do, um, just sort of by being there. And it, it's neat to see that, um, to see her character. You know, sometimes she's just sort of, you know, Q makes a comment about her being a shrew, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, it's nice to see her not just being a contrarian. She actually gives good advice to Amanda and tells her maybe she should go with Q. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's better to be with her her kind. Well, she and, and Picard her both. Help her. She and Picard both sort of try not to affect her. They're trying to be as yeah. objective as they can in her eyes and say, "Look, this is this is up to you. We're, yeah. You got to make your own choice. We're just going to hang back here and wait for you to do that." Yeah. No, I like yeah, that. It's I, just like, look, these are both options. Mm-hmm. Like, like. It, you know, you can do both. The, the end of the at the end of the day, this is your decision. Right. We just want to make sure you have all the information. Right. Which I like. Yep. Yeah, and and with that, and with the way Beverly handles Q, and the way Picard also handles Q, and there's a whole scene of a this sort of sidebar between Picard and Q where they pop out and, and they're talking about the situation, mm-hmm. but they're they're talking about it in such a way that it really just seems you can see in Beverly and Picard the um the way their relationship with Q has advanced over time and the way they're sort of no-nonsense with him. They're still annoyed by him, but the, he responds back to, to Picard mm-hmm. and he, you know, in a way that that shows a, a change in the relationship. You know, more, seems like more actual respect and, and an understanding that they can and do help him. Definitely. That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I, as for the Beverly thing, I will agree that, she is totally relatable. She's she takes up the nice sort of uh, counterpoint to the whole ethical argument. Although once again, not a doctor but a mom. 
Yep. And that I will say, well, come on, you guys can do better than that. But apart from that, I will, I will agree with you. It's just, that seems to be her role. It seems to be take the young person under her wing and and teach them about life, teach her about life. And it's just, uh, I don't know, that kind of bugged me, but you're right. She was, she was actually good in this. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think her making Amanda wear Wesley's old rainbow jumper was might have been a bit much. (laughs) Yeah. But then again, she, she had to change out of that pink dress that she was wearing for six days. Yep. Which we really only noticed because it was all pink and looked like Barbie would say, ew, that's tacky. Yeah, it's like she was wearing wearing like a six-year-old girl's party dress. A little bit. And that did not help me not think of her as a a very young child, which it turns out she was 18. I think they had to make special point of saying she was 18 because of her feelings toward Riker. Yeah. No, no, no. Absolutely 18. 18 for six months. She's almost No, it's it's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Barely legal, but legal. Although, you know, Riker never shows any interest in her whatsoever in the episode. No, and I like that. I like yeah. that she's got this sort of teen girl crush. That yeah. seemed totally realistic to me. And he's an older guy. He's good looking. But he's like, whoa, this is this is not cool. I'm, I'm yeah. not into you like that. And I like that because we don't, first of all, we don't see that side of Riker that much. No. But also it just, it felt like it added a dimension to her character. Which I well, like. he's making. He's busy making his move on some girl in ten forward. Well, it's great because yeah, they're they're uh, going. She's going to dinner with the girl squad with uh, Troy and Beverly. Right. They want her to replace Ro. Yes. I, yeah, Ro. <laughs> she's like, look, we had we had a good couple of weeks there, but uh, I no, I'm not hanging out with you. Oh, no, no, this is no, you no, guys no. are weird. Yeah, and you talk about Tupperware a lot. <laughs> We don't even have Tupperware in the future, but you guys just won't stop talking about it. You talk about Tupperware and comparing box wine. <laughs> but, um, oh, and, and Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, their book club, which which that was a selection of the week. I'm sure they have uh-huh. other ones. But, uh, and then Riker, like, she's like, uh, Commander, uh, why, why don't you join us? He's like, I have, I have other things to do. And then he steps over to the next table and talks to other things to do. <laughs> how's, it, how's it going, other things? Yeah. Because, you know. He he might not be interested in her, but of course he's interested in someone because he's Riker. Yeah. All right, Beef. Bad thing. My bad thing is there is a rapey Humanda scene. Uh, she when right after that mm-hmm. uh, in ten when they're in ten. Oh yeah, she's she, a little like, hey, don't she don't go with her. Over him, she stares at him for a while, and then she blinks him away to her secret. Uh, um, what do you say, Jane Austen setting? And yeah, uh, yeah of course she's a Jane Austen fan. And, well, and she's yeah. wearing the white flowy mm-hmm. dress that she constantly hikes up, but it never seems to get any higher. Mm-hmm. She spends ten minutes hiking that thing up. Yeah, she's got omnipotent powers, and she can't make a dress that fits. Yeah, she could have just made a short dress. Yep. But uh, no, and then she, you know, she ultimately, of course, tries to mind control him, and then realizes that it's hollow and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. I think they could have done without that scene entirely. I, I, I don't think it needed to be there. I think. There were other things that helped her, helped show her um, dealing with her power and all that they didn't need to make one of those. I'm going to make you love me. Scenes. The thing is, they've done this so many times. They've done this godlike power offered to someone, and I'll, and I'll get to this more in a minute. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it was interesting to me to show a different angle on that and to show just how far you could take that and how creepy it would be. And I think while you think they went too far, I think that was sort of the point. Yeah, I know. Maybe from a younger and from a young girl with a crush standpoint. Yeah, it's not a bad thing to do. 
happen. It that's is... the thing. I could totally see a girl, like a young girl with a crush on Riker, doing that. But also, it's it's something different to shock you. It's not the same. Oh well, yeah. I can you know I can jump that thing on my horse every time. This is boring. No, it's a creepy sort of. What if you really had this power and you do something awful with it? Yeah, and it was done in about the chastest possible way you could do it. It so was. It wasn't so bad. I just. But no, I just didn't love that. No, I understand. It is. It's creepy. It's definitely creepy. Whenever someone is made to love someone, yeah, it's it's unpleasant. Yeah, and I'm glad that you know we three guys feel that way. It feels like it's important that we we see it that way. Yes. <laughs> All right, Matt. How about you? Uh, so we get uh, gen. We get creepy Q again in this one. Mm-hmm. Like you guys talk about how he's not like villainous anymore. But he is, like, when he's talking about, well, like, there is killing conflict. her. Yeah, no, totally. When he's talking about killing her and stuff, like, it, he's he's really, like, he's really creepy. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, after having a Q who's like, you know, ah, Captain Picard, I'm going to take you to Robin Hood land and get you laid. Right. You know, it's nice to see that again. Yeah, absolutely. And more importantly, we get to see how much Q hates Dr. Crusher, which I think is hilarious. It is. Their dynamic is fantastic. I don't know where the hell it came from. I don't care. Yeah, but they don't have a history or anything. He just suddenly nope. shows up and hates her. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, no, I do too, and I don't know if it's because she's on the other side of this ideological argument, this schism, if you will, or <laughs> or if he just doesn't like her. It doesn't matter. It's funny. No, I st- I I still think he's jealous. <laughs> he's jealous of her for uh, Captain Picard's affections. I I want to have breakfast with Captain Picard. <laughs> I, you know, I, I certainly don't begrudge you that theory. I don't see it at all, but I'm, I'm delighted that you have it. Mm-hmm. That Q just wants to be with Picard. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense to me. But he doesn't use his powers to make him fall in love with him. He wants to get him the hard way. Yeah, that's the thing. He, he found this guy who's all like completely against everything Q thinks. He's like, I have to win him somehow. Yeah, but he won't do the thing that Amanda did. Yeah. He's got to do it the right way. No, no, he, th- that's part of the game. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to skip to my good thing tying into what you said. Uh, we went through the whole Q lost his powers, Q's thankful for to Picard for getting his powers back. And so it's hard to make him a villain without mm-hmm. sort of violating, you know, they don't have a ton of continuity, but when a when a recurring character comes back, they try to keep certain threads. And so it was hard to make him a villain, but they find a way to create conflict without threatening the ship. It wasn't yeah. like, "Oh, I'm judging you again or I'm going to do this. I'm going to send you to the Borg." It they found a way to give him an interesting angle to make conflict, to make sort of a danger, but without defanging him. Yeah. And they told a great story without it being, you know, without it being, oh, well, I'm your best friend now. Well, this really doesn't have to do with Picard. He's just kind of tied up in it now. Yeah. And more than that, I, I realized watching it with you guys, this is basically them doing the story they did in Hide and Q correctly. Mm-hmm. Hide and Q was the one where they offered Riker Q powers. And he had to learn what it was like to give a care and be a human or whatever. The same stupid story we've seen in Star Trek a million times. Yeah, like, the the thing with Hyde and Q was all about how, no, Riker, you can't use your Q powers because it's wrong to, you know, just make stuff happen. You have to, humanity has to struggle and all that bullshit. Well, and that's that's a Star Trek thing from almost day one. I think there was yeah. an element of that in the cage even, and definitely yeah, exactly. in Where No Man Has Gone Before. Like, it's way early. And it was nice to see... They took that concept and completely turned it on its head and said, no, it would be good. You could save lives. You could make puppies. Now yep. you guys aren't going to listen to the rest of what I'm saying. Exactly. Yeah. Puppies! 
<laughs> but you could you could do cool things and not really you know if you don't if you don't do creepy rapey things to people you want to have sex with it, you know you can use these powers for good yeah. and it was for the first time we saw the temptation we actually saw that someone would want to do this and they didn't make that standard choice at the end yes of course being human is better nope yeah <laughs> she said no i want to go yeah. do this yeah, no, I I love it, I, and I love that she's like. Well, her first reaction is, "No, I'm not going to use my powers. I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay yeah. here. I got a life here." And they literally walk out of the ready room, and the next thing that happens, yeah, and she's just like, "I can't, you know. Well, you know, I know what I said, but I also can't have a whole lot of people die, including Bill. Yeah, Especially wonderful, Bill. dreamy Bill. Yeah, got the little stars in her eyes, the hearts around mm -hmm. her head, and Q's just like, like really. The, the the Seinfeld, Five minutes. Seinfeld masturbation contest. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm out. Well, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I, I really like that. I also like some of the uh, situations that uh, that that she's put in. And actually, Beavis uh, ties into your quote if you want to mm -hmm. go ahead and set that up for us. Oh, sure. Uh, my quote is uh, Jordy and Deanna confronting Q about the core breach mm -hmm. that, he did, that Q did as a test for uh, Humanda. Are you saying that you created a core breach just to test this girl? Uh-huh. What would have happened if she couldn't stop it? Then I would have known she wasn't a Q. I love that. And I love that he sets up all these tests. And they start, yep. it starts with, uh, like you said in your in your summary, about a box almost falling on Riker. And then just gradually he's like, okay, what's she going to do about this? What's she going to do about this? And he said that. He said you would all die. But I think he wouldn't have let that happen. No, of course But he he's wouldn't. not going to yeah. say that to them. Yeah. And that's the thing underneath all this, uh, Matt, you say he is creepy. Yeah. But I don't but think, he's... I think he's their friend now. I think yeah. he's not going to tell them that. No, of course not. But he's totally like, he's looking out for them in a way. Here's the thing that I think is interesting is that like, you know, she ends up on the Enterprise, mm -hmm. which just happens to be his favorite ship. Yeah. I'm wondering if he maybe did something to make sure she got assigned to the Enterprise. Could be. Just so, like, you know, like, look, you're going to have some crap you got to deal with. These people are pretty good for humans. They can probably help you out. Yeah, and if there's a human I want to hear an opposing argument from, if I really want to get a good other side, there's nobody better than Picard to, to make a case for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he could have, um, I mean, you, if you think about it, he is protecting her. Oh, know? there you go, thinking the about whole, it again. The whole mm. setup is, yeah. The, the whole setup is, if it were up to the other Q, yeah. she might have been killed already. And we've, yeah. seen, we've seen a lot where he doesn't always agree with what they want. And it's not exactly presented to us, but it's sort of implied that he wants to give humanity sort of the benefit of the doubt. And they're usually like, no. Yeah. And so it's nice to see him in that role again. Like, I think that's a huge part of his character. I think, yeah. like, you know, the fact that he always appears to them as a human. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I really feel like he's just this guy, like, he's just fascinated with humanity, but he doesn't want to let anyone know about it. Yeah. Well, and there's a there's a nice little subtle hint mm -hmm. where Picard calls back to the pilot and says, you know, you put us on trial for the crimes of humanity. And all he said was the jury's still out on that one. Yeah. Which is a nice, I don't know if they were planning it or not, but it's a nice nod to the finale. But even then, yeah. and I'm not even going to bother about spoilers, you guys, this, this show's 25 years old. Yeah. Um... The in the in the finale, he's basically put in a position where he has to test Picard one last time, and he gives him an out. Like he says, "Here's here, you know, I'm gonna give you this way to figure out what's going on." He's he does that the whole time. Yeah, he never just says you're gonna die. He always tries to help them in a way. 
And it's yeah, just, he's, he, he's a really fascinating character. Yeah, he is. And he's always, I mean, he and Delance, or, uh, Delancey and Patrick Stewart once again yeah, facing off just perfect equals. Mm-hmm. Just uh, fantastic stuff. Really, really like that. Um, all right, Matt, your bad thing. Uh, so Amanda makes puppies and then vanishes them. What the hell? You know how desperately pup- Star Trek needs some more puppies in it? Jeez. You <laughs> win those puppies. I, puppies are adorable. Yeah, okay. There was a puppy. And not in only Enterprise. are puppies, not only are puppies say, adorable. Had retroactively had puppies before everybody. Else. Yeah, that's true. Proving once again that Enterprise ruins literally everything. I may have mentioned this on the show before, but when I was first watching Enterprise when it first aired, and I was trying to give it a chance, I found that beagle adorable so much that I adopted a beagle. Mm-hmm. I still have that dog, and it's because of Enterprise. Yep. And it doesn't have the stink of Enterprise on it? No, no. Nice. Unfortunately, that's the only series that uh, New Trek didn't retcon out. Mm-hmm. But I, I still try not to think about it. Um, There was a lot of really great stuff in here, though. There was a lot of great, like I say, debates between the two sides, and they were represented oh, totally. fairly equally. What I really liked was, while they were not super comfortable with it, the fact that the Continuum wanted to kill Amanda if if things didn't go right was something Picard didn't really step in and say, you can't. Yeah. He's, he he really applied sort of the Prime Directive, and he said, you know what? This is their culture. I don't like it, but this is how they got to settle things. Yeah. And hopefully Q will do the right thing, but I can't. You know, one, I'm powerless as a, as a human compared to these gods. Yeah. But two, this is, you know, I, I, I really like that. I like that. As disgusting as it was, they sort of defended their right to handle things their own way. Well, I mean, it's not the first time Picard has, you know, found out that people, like, some race is killing people and just like, well, that's horrible, but I mean, yeah, like, I what, am I, what am I going to do? Right. Whereas Kirk this would is... just charge in and do, you know, whatever he wanted. No, Q, you can't do that. And also, I'm going sedu- to seduce this young woman. Yeah, and I put it to you. Oh, I no. Q's head explodes. He's going to put it to me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Only Picard would put it to me. Mm. <laughs> really, you think he'd be the bottom in that relationship? I think he would be all sorts of things. Well, right. Nice thing about nice thing about being Q is you can be whatever the hell you want. That's true. The bottom, the top, the side. <laughs> well, no. The guy watching. Now I'm now. Yeah, he's got A that horse. whole Doctor Manhattan scene where there's like three of him. Yeah. Uh. Okay, so my bad thing, and this was a struggle. Because really, it's sometimes... It's, he, a, it's a pretty great episode. Yeah, it is. And after Hide and Q, all the Q episodes are great. Yep. Thankfully. We got Q Who, and we got uh, Deja Q, and... Uh, uh, all the TNG Q episodes right, are great. Exactly, yeah. Actually, I will say mm. that the the first Voyager one, I was still sort of checking out Voyager at this point, the one with the Q who wants to kill himself, uh-huh. I actually quite like that. It was an interesting idea about an immortal guy who doesn't want to live anymore and... and it wasn't perfect, but it was actually a pretty good Q story. Was it called Q-Aside? Uh, maybe. No, it was called Q-Vorkian. <laughs> How do you like it? Nice. Um, but sometimes they want to show how Q can go anywhere and do anything, and it just doesn't work for me. This is one of those times. Look, I'm poking my head out of the, the warp engine. Look, we're standing on the ship out in space. Isn't that nutty? I just, I don't care for that. It's just like, well, what what things can we composite him into that look kind of fun? It's better than that Voyager episode where they hide as a Christmas tree ornament, <laughs> which is actually a thing that happened. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah, they're they're hanging on a tree. The Voyager's hanging on a tree because they're hiding from someone. That might have been in that episode I was just talking about, which 
Like, so it's not all good. Time. No. But I just, I don't care for that. Matt, you actually said you liked them. I, I did there. like that. I, I thought him poking his head out of the uh, warp core was fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. But I like, th- I, I do like them standing on the, uh, outside the ship. I, I don't know. It feels like they're standing in front of a green screen. What backgrounds do we have? Here, let's, let's throw that in there. I mean, it could have looked better, but I like the concept. Mm. I, yeah, and it's nice because she chased him outside into space. Right. And it wasn't a thing for her. You know what mm. I mean? It wasn't, it was, you know, that would have been a new well, thing for her. Well, he gradually leads her by the hand into more and more abilities. Yeah. yeah. Like, first let's do this little thing, and then more and more, which I, I really liked. And then turning people into dogs. Right. Well, yeah, of course, there's more dogs. Like, Woo! Because you got to have that. He turns Beverly into a, an Irish setter or something, <laughs> and she doesn't even realize it, which is weird. That felt very bewitched to me. In fact, everything that Amanda did felt very bewitched to me. She well, she has the the elaborate hand gestures whenever she does something, right? And once she learns it, I think she could just do it by wiggling her nose. Yeah, but yeah, there's the, actually no because Endora did that. Uh, the, Samantha did the hand gestures. Yeah. The, the yeah. sort of flourishy. So I think it's just a style choice. And yeah. they called they called Riker Durwood. Well, <laughs> now that feels like a Worf Wesley thing, where he just keeps getting the name wrong. Sup, uh-huh. Durwood? Hey, Durwood. It's Wesley. Uh huh. Right. Yeah, I'll remember. But there was definitely a sort of a, a young, cute girl is causing mischief with her magic. Like that must have been deliberate. They didn't overdo it. No. But the way she's waving her hands, the way, you know, someone's briefly turned into a dog and turned back, there was definitely an element of that, which I kind of liked. Uh, what else? Uh, That's pretty much all I got. You guys got any further things? Let's see here, just looking through my notes. Wow, puppies, puppies, puppies. Yeah, your notes pretty much say puppies. Did we cover puppies? I'm not sure. You better, what, what puppies? You need to give me some context for that. Puppies in space. Oh, of course. Gotta have spontaneous puppies space. space puppies. <laughs> that would be the title for this episode. Yep. Just like lobster, monk, whatever. I've forgotten. I've put it the all. Puppies, the puppies out of space. Yes. <laughs> the puppy initiative. <laughs> all right. Is that it from, from the two of you? Puppy uh, of the Beholder. Yes. What's that? Puppy of the Beholder. Oh, God. Skin of puppies. Oh, I think it's about time <laughs> to be done here. There, uh, for, for those of you. Play those puppies. What? Plato's puppies. The trouble with puppies. Damn it, now you got me doing it. <laughs> For those of you who have uh, who discovered us at Emerald City, either from our panel or from a, a CD we put in your hand, and you're still with us, somehow and possibly. Awesome. Um, there is a thing that I've been meaning to mention uh, that I haven't mentioned in a few weeks, and that is if you are also a fan of Doctor Who. There is a ah yes. There is a sister show run by two very good friends of ours, um, English Gav and Irish Gav, as we call them, because mm-hmm. they're both named Gav, and one of them is English and one of them is Irish. Uh, they're doing what we're doing, only with Doctor Who. They they have started with the first Doctor. They've actually moved now into the second Doctor, uh, and it is called Drunken Time Travel. Mm-hmm. And the show is available on iTunes and drunkentimetravel.blogspot.com. We can vouch for this show 100%. We did a crossover with them a few months ago, and yeah. it was fantastic. Those so two- if you're not sure, that that's a good episode to check out. Yeah, sort of, if you, yeah. you want to get a sample of them, because we, we yeah. have so much fun with those guys. They're, they're awesome. And mm-hmm. eventually they will work their way up to, you know, the the uh, the, the current, the, the 10th, 11th Doctor. But uh, I think uh, last time I talked to Irish Gavin about that, it's going to be like 2027? 20, something like that? So yeah, something like that, yeah. It's going to be a while. Although we did lay it out. As far as how many episodes we have to do to get to the end and how many they have to do to get to the end. And we actually have more. 
we're actually going to have to deal with more Star Trek than they are going to have to do Doctor Who. And the reason for that is because that they do uh, the the serials, so they can cover seven episodes at once, whereas we have to do the same, you know, two a week mm. forever. So we're going to be at it even longer, apparently. But uh, great show. Those guys, those guys do a really fun show, and and you should check them out. Absolutely. And the usual business, we have our app, which is still free uh, in the in the iTunes Store. Website is postatomichorror.com, and you can write us mail if you like, uh, postatomichorror at gmail.com. That's all the plugs, I promise. Anything more from you, gentlemen? Any general comments, specific things? Uh, Don't make another puppy title, or I will turn you into a puppy. <laughs> that was, threats. That empty was very threats. Weak. Yeah, totally empty threats. Yeah. No, I'm good. Very well. Yeah, me too. All right, Matt. Say your thing. See ya, puppies. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2013. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.